What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain There have only been a few times in the history of podcasting where a podcast went so deep that my brain was literally scrambling to keep up. Paul Check is a wizard of the highest order. The guy is a master kinesiologist. He got to work on me here at the Onnit Academy. I experienced amazing physical transformation just from one session with him. But it wasn't that. It was his philosophy. It was his understanding of spirituality. It was his ability to blend all of these different experiential mediums and create that kind of masterful da Vinci effect that was one of the most impactful encounters I've had in my life with any human being. I'm really stoked to launch this podcast. It gets wild. It goes deep. We set out to define some of the most complicated, challenging issues to talk about in life and the universe itself. I think you guys are going to dig it. I'd love to hear your feedback and enjoy. Before we get started, I'd like to talk about one of my favorite products from Onnit. One of the challenging things anybody has to deal with with supplementation is just figuring out what to take. And then once you've figured out what to take, you got to bring it with you. You got to pack it. You got to actually make sure you comply with the protocol. And that was what our thinking was when we designed the TPC day and night packs. We basically put together all of our flagship formulas from Alpha Brain, Shroom Tech Sport, New Mood, Key Minerals, Spirulina Chlorella, Virutech, Shroom Tech Immune, Krill Oil, all of our best stuff and divided them out into the day and night pack. And the cumulative effect of all of these things is just going to feel like your brain is turned on, you have more energy, you have more ability to get stuff done, your immune system is going to be supported. When it comes time to rest, you're going to find it easier to relax, easier to fall asleep. All of the bases of optimization are covered. So all you got to do is with breakfast, you rip open a day pack, you take the supplements. With dinner or before bed, you rip open the night pack, you take the night supplements. And you can rest assured that you're getting the best nutrients that we've sourced, that we've studied in clinical research, and you're covered. You don't have to stress about anything else. It's definitely the easiest way to optimize through supplementation and i encourage you guys to check it out go to onnit.com o-n-n-i-t.com and go get you some we we all agree that if we wake up in the morning and we want to be together then we should stay together a choice every day yeah that's the beauty of this kind of container right yeah you can choose to be with your partner every day you're going to be happy with your partner yeah if you feel trapped or feel obligated yeah. or feel like you're stuck yeah that's when the resentment starts to build and yeah. the resentment becomes the monster that eats all the love yeah and when you think you're doing it for god and then you clearly don't understand what god is <laughs> right you know? and now you're 
now you're dealing with corporate religion, which is a, a disease-making machine. No doubt. Well, this is going to be fun because one of the things that I want to do with you is I have a list of five words, uh-huh. and I feel that it's the responsibility of anybody who's going to use these words and philosophers and teachers and yeah. anyone to clean the words off because yeah. words like God, they get, yeah. they accumulate like a bunch of barnacles and mistruths yes. and misunderstanding. Yeah. So you can say the word and the image and idea and understanding, because obviously words are just symbols, but what the understanding is in people's heads might be radically different than yeah. what you're trying to express, but the symbol might be the same. So but first, before we go into cleaning up some words, mm-hmm. I want to get like a brief, you know, a few defining moments that made Paul check, Paul check. Like what were the kind of the course corrections that allowed you to become, you know, who you are today? Right now? Right now. Oh, I didn't know we were on. Yeah, we're on. We better be on. Be on. <laughs> Sorry, I, you guys are so fast and so efficient. I don't even know when the show is on. Picking that up. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 pretty smooth, you guys. Okay, so um, defining moments for me. Well, you know, when I became the trainer of the United States Army boxing team at twenty-two, I think I was twenty-two, January eighty-eight, um, and I started doing massage therapy with the fighters and feeding them the way I was raised to eat on a farm. And, you know, the first book I ever read in my life cover to cover because I hated reading as a kid and school was not a place that was designed for me. I never, you know, I only went, I only finished the ninth grade. So I pretty much educated myself through studying with great teachers and workshops and things that I felt were important for me to know to help people, not some academic program. Um, So when I, got on the army boxing team and they asked me to become trainer and I was able to share things like the work I had studies I'd learned from Rudolf Ballantyne's book Nutrition a Holistic Approach which is the first book I ever read which was Mm -hmm. what I was pointing to and it fit very much with the way my mother raised us she was a she is a yogi and and my parents are very holistic and we I was raised on a 140 acre sheep farm and um, I got into the army and I was able to you know, first of all, they recognized I was doing something very unique because I represented the Army in triathlon and fought on the boxing team, so I trained for two sports at once. And you were in the Army. Yes, I was right. a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had this great feeling of connection and flow and inner peace and a sense that my sailboat was moving in the right direction when I found myself surrounded with 30 of the best boxers in the world. Uh, the Callahan Boxing Arena was the center for Fort Bragg, which is one of the biggest military sure. posts, 79,000 soldiers for all their sports. So I was working with power lifters, track and field athletes, uh, you name it. The top Army athletes came there and would ask me questions and I would help them. And so I was designing all the nutrition programs. I was doing all the training programs for the fighters. I was managing the gym and working with the team doctor who was an osteopathic physician. So I got two years of on-the-job training and caring for acute sports injuries. And what really happened is when the doctor came back to me about three or four months after I started, and he said, whatever the hell you're doing, it is working because I am hardly seeing any injuries on the team at all. He said, I used to be busy all the time. I haven't seen anyone injured now for months since you started doing all this stuff. 
And the athletes would say, oh my God, Paul, that massage you gave me, I fought like a son of a bitch for all three rounds. I've never felt so good. Mm -hmm. um, they noticed a big shift in their energy from the nutrition. I would make them what used to be called tiger milk shakes, which is a recipe I got out of one of my old, you know, kind of Paul Bragg type nutrition books from years ago. Where you milk a tiger with your bare hands. Yeah, you milk a tiger and, <laughs> and you pull its fangs and all that. And you grind them up like Chinese medicine. And so I would bring key fighters that I felt were nutritionally deficient. Um, I couldn't do it for everyone because there's 30 guys, but yeah. Or if there was a key athlete that was going for a major tournament and I felt like I needed to really prop that guy up. And when I, when I started getting all the feedback and all the reciprocity of appreciation and, you know, seeing that some of the greatest athletes in the world were really valuing my work and that, and that even though they hated it, because I actually trained them, I didn't tell them what to do, I did everything with them. So all their training programs from rope skipping to weightlifting to sprinting to track work to pool work, I did everything with them. So it was never a finger pointer. I would kick their asses. The average guy would lose five to eight pounds of sweat in one of our workouts, which between the boxing and the training was typically four to six hours a day. Yeah, And... um even though they hated me because I worked them so hard, they performed so well and felt so much better and had so many fewer injuries. I just felt like every, the stars had lined up. And for the first time in my life, I felt anchored in myself and in my purpose. And that was January 84 that began. So here we are, 2017. And I've been doing this for 32 years. That's a beautiful moment that I hope all these listeners and everybody, if you haven't had that moment yet where you wake up and you realize here i am doing yeah. exactly what i'm supposed to do and you have that sense of for me it was not only what i'm supposed to do but i i felt that the universe had conspired because mm -hmm. the pieces came from all sorts of places i'll give you an example you know when i was young i was raised on a farm as i said but i i did you know i became a father when i just turned 18 my parents rule was that the day you leave high school or college is the day you leave the house. So I hated school. So when I finished the ninth grade, I left at 16 and, and supported myself and earned a living. And then when my kid came, I had to do whatever I could do because the unemployment rate was at that time was like 17 and a half percent. I come from a logging community. The logging industry was down because there was so much Japanese wood coming into the market. We couldn't sell our own wood. So the whole industry went flat. So jobs were really hard to do. And I had to do whatever I could do. So I, 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 was, uh, I went to trade school when I was young and became a, an auto mechanic. So I worked in auto mechanics. I worked in exploration and water well drilling. I worked in logging. I worked in the shake industry, making shakes for shake roofs, cedar shake roofs. Um, I worked in farming. I worked uh, as an automotive electrician. I mean, I worked as a bricklayer's apprentice. I was a heavy-duty mechanic apprentice for about six months because it was the best job I could get. You're still a heavy-duty mechanic just for human cars. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, here's the interesting thing I'm leading to. A thousand times I've had athletes and people say, Paul, you can explain things in ways that I can understand them, and no one else makes it clear to me. And I found that spirit had guided me into each of these professions 
so that if I'm talking to a plumber who's got a problem with his body, I can use plumbing concepts and plumbing analogies because I can understand how a plumber's mind works. If I'm talking to an electrician or to an auto mechanic, I found that I had been guided to these different work experiences to learn how to see the world through the eyes of the different trades. And then I could explain the body, the mind, and the soul and great spirit in ways that could be interpreted and understood by these different people. And so I find myself speaking in analogy and metaphor that makes connections, that make things clear. And I found when people are clear, they're more responsive and they're more committed because they understand how what I'm suggesting they do actually contributes directly to their dream as opposed to just being told something else they've got to do by another therapist, you know? I think uh, before, you know, I felt like I was living my purpose, which is, you know, running on it, doing these podcasts, writing these things that I'm doing now. You know, I was 30 before any of this happened. And I would look back and say, you know, I must have gone off course at some point. It's all over for me. I fucked something up. I took a left when I should have taken a right. And here I am, never going to live my purpose. It's all, you know, and I had these kind of self-defeating ideas. I still kept the faith. I kept that star of like, I'm going to keep fighting no matter what, just because that's my nature. But then, you know, ultimately when everything kind of came together and absolutely, you know, I can only take the smallest amount of credit because of all the help that the universe seemed to provide, all of the pieces that happened to come together. Yeah. But then you realize I couldn't have done what I'm doing now without all of the wandering paths that yes. I've taken. So mm-hmm. everything in my former path, all the pain, all the frustration, all the failures, they become redeemed when you realize I needed all of that yep. to be the person I am now yep. to do the thing that I'm doing now. And you can't figure that out until you have enough life experience that you can actually see what's always been there. And, you know, like many young people come to me in my various programs and say, I don't know what my dream is. How do I find my dream? And I say, well, listen, it takes most people till they're about 35 to have enough life experience to even be confident in trusting themselves as to what their dream is. But what you need to know is that your heart is the compass, And right now, what your dream should be is to follow your heart and make doing things you love to do and learning things you love to learn more important than making money. Yes, we all need money, but if money becomes your prime directive, you can find yourself digging yourself into quite a deep little rabbit hole where all of a sudden you've got money, but you're unhappy even with your cool car, your nice house, and all the things that money might buy, but because you've prostituted yourself for money. Yeah. But if you're making half as much money, but painting the paintings you love to paint, or working as a landscaper because you love working with the earth, or something that you love, you'll find that you'll come to the end of where all of a sudden the painting's not so exciting anymore. And that's your heart saying, you've now got enough of this lesson to go on to the next stage of your development of your legacy or your overarching dream. And it takes a lot of courage to listen to our hearts. Yeah. But we're not taught to listen to our hearts. We're taught to listen to our heads. And the head is a, a very dangerous director. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> it, it is indeed. So let's let's this is the first word that I wanted to define. And yeah. it, it includes things like heart and head. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the self, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about a person, think about the self. Yeah. How do you go about defining, explaining 
the self? Because obviously it contains many different components. Yeah, do you mean self with a small s or a capital S or all caps? Well, that's what we have to, de- that's what we have to define. Because when yeah. people hear the word self, yeah. I think they get confused. I'm going looking for myself. Right. Is the, is the trope, right? Yeah. Well, if you go looking for yourself, all you're going to find is someone looking for themselves. Right? Well, you yes. Know? I mean, I do understand the term, and that's really what we've been talking about is, yeah. you know, how do I know when I'm on the right path? How do I know when I'm living my dream? Like, I can look at you and look at your business and see how things run, and I can say, Aubrey has found himself. Mm. He's doing what he's meant to do. And you can always tell when someone's doing meant to do because there's not a division of their sense of purpose or their sense of uh, value or their sense of how they use their time everything's moving together. It's like, uh, to use soldier terms, everyone's marching in step. So I don't see Aubrey have one part of himself wish he was somewhere else and the other part wish he was here and the other part saying, oh, maybe I should do this. Everyone's in step metaphorically. So self with a small s means the same thing that ego does, which means border, barrier, or self-definition. In... In developmental terms, Rudolf Steiner and others have shown that it takes about 21 years in a healthy tribal society for a person to develop an ego, which means to fully differentiate who they are relative to their family, to their programmers, to their tribe. In other words, they know who they are when they say, okay, I'm a blacksmith's son and I am mastering blacksmithery or I am a hunter, or I am a warrior, or I am uh, someone who works with uh, like a medicine man or harvesting animals. Uh, The self really, though, as I'll show in a second, is quite an illusion. The self, in psychological terms or modern uh, parlance or in Jungian terms, is a meme-plex or an idea-plex. Because ultimately, when you say, well, what are we without getting into identities or labels? Oh, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so, and and I practice such-and-such religion. Those are just labels. Which are dangerous when you start identifying those as completely yourself. Well, they are very, very dangerous. And and what I'm about to say is to show you how dangerous they are, because people believe those thoughts until they get mature enough to start questioning their thoughts, which usually takes enough pain to go, wait a minute, if— God is supposed to be love, then why am I so in pain when I follow the Ten Commandments? You know, this this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's a it's a really prick that God guy. And everybody, if you don't know what God or love means, don't worry. We're coming at those next. <laughs> yeah, that's coming up. Um, so, in Jungian terms and in other psychological terms, a selfplex is a collection of ideas that you have collected that you use to navigate your relationships with yourself, with others in the world. But behind that, there's something that's quite elusive that usually takes a fair bit of maturity to get to, and it is really the truth of what we are at the capital S-E-L-F level, and most spiritual practices are processes of self-realization. So the, the, the real truth of us is that if I said to you, Aubrey, what would happen to you, you if we got rid of the water in your body? Would Aubrey be here? Well, here would be the be the interesting part of that. Would I? Be, would Aubrey be? Could yes. we? Could we be having this conversation? <laughs> no. no right. Could. So then I say, well, where did that water come from? The earth. It came from everywhere. Yeah. 
right? Because we don't even know how it got to the Earth. It came on <laughs> asteroids made of ice sure. is one theory, which means it came from everywhere in the universe. We can't isolate that. And then I say, okay, well, Aubrey, you're made of Earth as well. And that came from somewhere outside of you. And what the Earth is is a bunch of minerals that you can find in the periodic table, which you track back, and some of those elements came from the sun, and some of them came from other stars, but when they then go to try to find out where those elements came from, they find out something per pretty paradoxical. Stars are formed by black holes, which suck all sorts of stars in for millions of miles around, and every star turns out to be made of every other star. So if we look at the water element, who Aubrey thinks he is as a self, comes from everywhere if we look at the earth element he comes from the whole universe if we look at the fire element which is his metabolism what he's made of is the same thing as what he's eating which is light which einstein showed us e equals mc squared it means everything that you are is really light in an entangled quantum relationship so the light of us and the warmth of us comes from everywhere and then we're air, we have to breathe, and the air comes from everywhere, and you're breathing in somebody's air from Dubai yesterday, right now, and they say that you can breathe in a certain number of molecules of Jesus' body with every breath based on scientific calculations of how atoms move around. Oh, that's what that tasted like. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and hopefully, you know, <laughs> it's better tasting than you thought um, without you know, any biases in the way, right? We have to take Jesus and, and feel sorry for him because anybody that has a philosophy that now has 33,000 divisions is probably worried about the confusion amongst the followers. But then the final <laughs> element is space. And so if I said, well, Aubrey, get rid of the space, well, there's no Aubrey anymore. So the, here's the point I'm making. What we think of as ourself is an illusion because we think this is who we are, this is our body, this is our place, and this is us. But the reality of it is what we think of as us is the entire universe conspiring to have this experience of being able to look at and relate to itself, just like as if you were hugging yourself or kissing yourself or looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you, which is a good idea. The capital S means one now becomes aware that what you think you are could not be here, not only without all the things I just mentioned, but everybody else that's ever in impacted your life. Yeah. And that includes the people that do it, that I call the invisible helpers that you don't know. Like, somebody made our shoes, but we never got a chance to give them a hug or know who they are. Yeah. Somebody made our clothes, someone made our cars, someone made our computers, and we forget all about those people. We take them for granted. But think, who would we be without our computers and our phones today? We, we, we'd not be, we wouldn't even be modern humans. We couldn't even fit in. Well, these friends wouldn't know us. Right. Sure. But you see, all these people are part of our lives. So self-realization, which is much more of a Taoist or a Buddhist or a Zen concept with a capital S or a yoga concept means I now realize that there's two layers. There's the self-plex that are the ideas that embody, that I embody, that give me a sense of purpose, meaning, and values that I live by, but then there's the deeper realization that I really am everybody else around me. And the deeper realization that takes more spiritual maturity is to realize that I am also all the people I don't like, because those are the parts of myself that I bury, and until I become a wise man, I project my anger, frustration, resent, guilt, and shame about those parts onto other people and name them and blame them. A good example is People have all sorts of ways to describe Donald Trump, but I always remind them for every finger pointing that way, you got three pointing back at you. 
So if you really want to understand Donald Trump, be brave enough to find that man inside of you. Where is the crook inside of me? Where is the woman abuser inside of me? And that takes real spiritual courage to look that deeply into somebody. And then you can realize that somebody like that, who's just an icon for the people we don't like, actually is a great opportunity for us to see what we can heal inside of ourselves to make a commitment to making the world a better place instead of expecting somebody else to do all the work. Then capital S, capital E, capital L, capital F means we are all of it. Yeah. And we become an, a samadhi experience or a satori or a total union experience, which can come through you know, psychedelic use through shamanic practices or through meditative practices, Tai Chi, I've had them all sorts of different ways. Then you're one with it all and you, you then know that the little self led to the capital S-E-L-F, which ultimately brought you to the awareness of yourself as all of it and now there isn't even an idea. In other words, like Carl Jung, used, people used to ask Carl Jung, do you believe in God? He would say, no. I know God. In other words, there's no belief needed. Yeah, so that. that's what the capitals are, is I know God. Do you use the word consciousness to describe that capital S self? Uh, or is there, is there a distinction in, the, in, mm -hmm. in your lexicon when you're describing mm -hmm. consciousness? Because often I'll, I'll use that. There's the self and then there's your consciousness, the thing yes. that exists eternally that knows both separation and no separation. Yes, know, that's a fantastic question, and I'm impressed you asked me that, because I do make that distinction in my teaching for my students, because it's a very important one. If you look at words classically used religiously or spiritually to describe God, they're omni-words, especially in Christianity, omnipresent, all-present, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, etc. Omni means all in capital letters. The only correlation to that word in a scientific viewpoint is the absolute. The absolute is that which is everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. It is immeasurable because you, if you're trying to measure it, you're already wrong because you are part of it. <laughs> so, you, you know, you can't, this is why you can't know God. Maybe we can talk about that later. I won't get sidetracked on that. But, so consciousness in my lexicon, is the equivalent of the absolute, which is the equivalent of the flat line. So if someone's measuring your electrocardiogram and you're getting a pulse, the flat line is actually everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. For example, if you look at the work of Itzhak Bentov in his book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, who's a genius, the first scientist to really explore meditation scientifically and the inventor of the pacemaker, he shows that Using mathematical calculations, you can prove that when a pendulum's just swinging, like if you take a crystal pendulum and swing it, at the moment that it stops moving in one direction, it's everywhere and nowhere in the universe simultaneously for an instant. It's actually everywhere and nowhere at the instant it reaches a dead stop. So the absolute is that which is everywhere and nowhere simultaneously, but it is the basis of that which we can perceive. We can perceive the pendulum moving, but with our eyes and our refresh rate being so slow comparatively, we can't see that pendulum dead stop. We can get a concept of it, but mathematically speaking, it reaches a zero point, which means it's everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. 
Wow, that's hard to wrap your head around. For sure. It is, but uh, you know, <clears throat> God's not an easy thing to wrap your head around. That's why people keep using all these silly signifiers and fall into love with silly books because to know really you have to go deep deep inside of yourself and that takes commitment and passion and and a hunger to know the truth. So I think it might be easier to know God than to know that the pendulum stops and it's everywhere well, and nowhere at the yeah, same you, time. Yes, you can do that, but you see, the secret is is that to know God, you have to get the pendulum between your ears to stop swinging anyhow. Sure. And that thing's called the mind. Yeah. And you can't escape the mind as long as it's moving and thinking because it's already got you locked into a very, very narrow slice of the pie we're calling God. So to, to go... My point here is capital C, O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-N-E-S-S, all caps, is the, what the Buddhists call the ground of being or what the Christians call anything with an omni. Mm-hmm. And when you look at how the human sensory system works, you can't have conscious awareness of anything that isn't moving. So when you take your electrocardiogram, you see movement, positive, negative polarity, when you take an electroencephalogram, you see movement. If you measure peristalsis, if you measure any function in the universe that is measurable, there's movement there. So consciousness is that which is everywhere and nowhere. So as, as often said, God so is it's a... the stillness. It's the perfect stillness, but the problem is the stillness is so pregnant and so explosive that the vacuum and the plenum turn out to be the same thing. <laughs> so that which is empty is pregnant with everything. Yeah. And so God All being possibilities that's yeah. the nature of quantum state, right? So, yes, and God is unconditional love because unconditional is absolute. There is no way you can measure something that's unconditional and to try to figure out what God is means you just don't understand what you're trying to figure out. So that which is the source of all or unconditional is the unmoved mover that is witnessing. When people would ask St. Francis of Assisi, what is God? He would say what you are looking for is what's looking. So in Buddhism, that would be prajna or the ever-present witness that is not caught in any of it, but is witnessing all of it. It is witnessing its own dream metaphorically. So that would be consciousness with all caps. But when I'm sitting here talking to you and I can see you and I can look around the room, I can smell the smells, those are all sensory inputs that are bouncing up and down which you can measure scientifically and for example, if you numb the muscles of the eye, you'll go blind. Mm-hmm. Because for you to see, you have to have saccades. Your eyes actually got tiny little movements that constantly give something that it can look at that's measurable by a sensory system that works with on-off impulses. Right. So that's what I call conscious of. So to go into a full union experience of God is a paradox because you don't be conscious become conscious of anything, you become conscious of everything and nothing simultaneously, which is exactly why when people used to ask Buddha to describe God, he would go silent. And they thought he was playing messing with them or didn't want to talk about it, but he was telling them the truth. There's nothing you can say because the instant you speak of anything, you use vibration, you use symbols, which are words that separate everything from everything else. And that's why the word logos, which means the word or the same thing as om, is often referred to by alchemists and early Christian mystics as the logos cutter. Because to describe God in any way is to cut the pie with words or symbols and leave you in the danger of believing that what was just said was true. And when the mind, the ego, thinks it knows, it stops looking. And that's what 
is one of the biggest problems with religions worldwide. So for you, capital C consciousness yes. and God yeah. are synonymous. They are synonymous. Ways. It is the witness. Conscious, I mean, if it's because you're conscious that you can hear yourself talking and witness me, right. but it's because you're listening to me that you're conscious of. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, of course. So, and that's, and that's I think, Im- important to have, you know, there's certain things that are synonyms that we use different words and, and that the consciousness that you find in the stillness is the union with God and then so can be that thing that you call God. So all is consciousness. Yes. All is God. Yeah. And then everything that is div- dividing is just a division of which, but you can still kind of wrap your whole arms around everything with all the divisions. Yes. You still call it all God, which then goes back to your point of, there are no divisions that you can accurately see or judgments in people even like Trump or another yeah. identity class or whatever. You get to the metaphysical truth and you realize, oh, all is God. Yes. And that is me, you know, they or I. We have just been cut in a different symbol so that we can experience a different, you know, fragment of the same reflection of the same diamond, which is capital C consciousness or God. Yes. And there's a there's two things I'd like to share. One is that there's an old sort of um A statement, I guess, is what it was, is, and that is, if you put 12 enlightened human beings around a round table with a bouquet of multicolored flowers in the middle and ask every one of them to describe what they see, you'll get 12 different answers because they're each having a unique perspective, Mm -hmm. but they're all enlightened. And the reason I share that is a lot of people have the misconception that everyone that's enlightened is seeing and perceiving the same thing and that they don't have an ego. The ego is absolutely critical because without the ego, love cannot exist. It can't move. There is no subject-object relationship. Mm -hmm. Love is based on an I-thou. So if I say, I love Aubrey, I... Hey, thanks, Paul. I do, buddy. (laughs) I am loving thou. I love thou. But you see, without that sense of who I am, how would I know that I'm loving you or being loved by you? Sure. So one of the things that's sad is that Many, especially the Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they're ego killers. But paradoxically, they have the biggest egos of all. They love to fight like hell. And the reality of it is, is that it's not about killing the ego. The ego is what gives you the opportunity to love and to live and to go on your own hero's journey and to enjoy relationship and food and experience everything I mean, imagine if you had to taste everybody else's food all at the same time. You're like, would you please quit eating that? Well, even the ability to say that would mean you have an ego already. And Ego is differentiation. Ego period. is differentiation, yeah. and the soul is consciousness within. Mm-hmm. Only God can give a soul. Only the universe can give a soul, and only that which creates the universe can give a soul. And what is a soul but the consciousness of that which is within us? It's the the sense of... That's I agree with Paul or I don't agree with Paul or I can feel my stomach gurgling. All that is based on the consciousness of the inner experience of self. So soul is consciousness within. Spirit is that which moves everything. And the ego is that which perceives itself as having an experience as an actor in the grand play or the grand illusion of Maya or the dance of Layla. So you see... In the middle of the coin, you have pure potential or unconditional love that empowers it all but does not claim any identity. On the other side of the coin, you have the feminine expression of the soul, which is the receptive feeling mode. 
And then you could say the ego is really spirit's chief creative form of expression because it's what gives us the ability to dance, sing, play, and be at the party. And you can't break that trinity because that's how you move potential into actuality, just like you have to have a positive, negative, and neutral for an electric circuit or it will not work. It'll short out and you got a fire. So consciousness needs potential, unconditional love or God as the source, the wellspring of potential, and it moves that into, through spirit, into soul, and the ego is what rises up as a product of consciousness moving through that circuit within any locus or biological center or entity that can identify itself even in a light body, such as people that can be channeled like Seth and people like that. Yeah. I think defining the soul as your individual piece of consciousness. Yes. Like the thing that you are kind of responsible for shepherding that is at the same time part of the all, but at the same time yours. It's it's your your kind of carving out of that the division out of that larger piece. That's a, a brilliant way to think about think about soul. I well, think. here's something that's really important on that regard is that soul only God can give a soul, and only God is conscious, with caps. Only God, is, only God is absolute, so only God can ultimately be capable of perceiving everything happening within itself. There's nothing behind God. There's, there's, there is nothing back there. This is one of the reasons I think we all have two eyes in front of our head and nothing behind us, even though we get killed from behind all the time. You go out in nature, and almost every creature in nature has two eyes looking forward, and it says right in the Bible, we are made in his image or God's image, but God doesn't know there's anything behind God. So God only has one way to look to experience God, and that's into itself. So we're all looking into ourself, but we the ego makes it think like we're looking out of ourself. Yeah. But the soul is God within us looking at itself through the relationship of ego relative to other ego or perceived self, and spirit is what's powering the whole thing up. <laughs> and spirit is really the two qualities of God becoming each other, just like the Tai Chi symbol says. There's, the, the, there's two qualities of an absolute. It's absolutely nothing, because you can't measure it or weigh it, and it's absolutely everything, because it's all here. Look out the window. Here we all are. <laughs> and we know those two keep becoming each other at the speed of now, and that is the absolute expressing itself as consciousness so the beauty of it is is that the soul is ultimately unconditional love and having been a therapist for 32 years that's worked with the most famous of everybody and the richest of all sorts of people at one time 10 of my clients flew their own private jets and owned them billionaires and people like that that own you know 50,000 real estate properties and crazy stuff like that and you find that all the drugs, all the sex, and all the money, and all the parties in the world won't get you to a place of peace and a place of fulfillment. There's only one thing that ultimately satiates a soul, and that is the experience of what it really is. And that's what the spiritual life is. We can wrap ourselves up in material success and fame, but we always feel empty until we begin to drink from the divine ocean of true consciousness, of unconditional love, and the soul has this built-in failsafe because it knows what it is. Yeah. It, it ultimately knows what it is. And, and it's here to have this experience, just like acting an, uh, a play or going to a show or, or participating in a meeting and enjoying those experiences. 
But because it can never really be satiated by anything but what it is, whenever we stunt our growth by getting too caught up in the world and in distractions or in matter, and Plotinus said the soul's greatest addiction is to matter because it wants to have something to play with that it can see. But once we start losing ourselves into the kind of illusion, then we start having this primordial emptiness. And the only thing I've ever seen heal that is legitimate spiritual practices, legitimate spiritual healing, and legitimate spiritual awakening. And all those things require an honest relationship with our body because it is the lens of perception that we're working through at this level of spiritual development, i.e. as a being. So one of the concepts that I've really latched onto from the Toltec philosophy is this concept of controlled folly. And that's understanding the soul, understanding yeah. what the soul is nourished by, understanding that that is the only way that you'll get the, the truest satisfaction. But then as your controlled folly, understanding that it's a game, yeah. you can play billionaire, you can play yeah. you know, with girls and drugs and parties and yeah. whatever else. But always know that if it goes away, you just let it go with a laugh because yeah. it's playing a game. It's like folding up the Monopoly board. You know, It's your yeah. own fault if all of a sudden you get all... all annoyed and riled up because yeah. someone just got that fourth railroad and every time you go 10 squares you're going to have to pay 200 fake dollars you know what i yeah. mean like at the end of the day you should be able to play in all of that play it for real play yeah. it for fun play yeah. it for but ultimately the game board goes away goes back on the shelf yeah and you have to realize this was all just folly the thing that exists that which is real is the nourishment of your soul and spirit and consciousness. And without the game, how would you ever get to the conscious awareness of what's been inside of you all the time? And, you know, I teach people how to connect to their soul specifically so they have an inner compass that's more reliable than the one between their ears called the head. Because when we let love guide us, it guides us to love. If we're in trouble... We want support from people that love us, not people that don't like us. If we're lost, we want to find somebody who loves the mountains metaphorically enough to know the trails that we don't know. So when we go through all the things of life and inevitably things happen, people that you thought you would love forever, you end up in a heated divorce with and you go, oh my God, I never ever would have dreamed in a million years that this would be happening you know, you can have a very successful business. And, you know, like, for example, in 2008, when the stock market crashed, within a year, I was $650,000 in the hole. And people got so scared to death, they stopped buying education, taking courses. And at that time, I don't know, my monthly overhead was about 100 grand a month before I got paid anything. And I was like scrambling hard to keep the Institute alive so it didn't perish. And I had to work myself day and night to make it through that. But my point is, I turned to that which makes my heart beat and said, what do I do now? Do I shut the Institute down? Do I go work for a large corporation? How do I make it through this? And Spirit always said to me, no, just keep doing what you're doing. You'll be okay. Just stay focused on sharing your love and sharing your wisdom. And I got through it. We all worked together as a team. We, Within two years, we paid off all our debts and got ourselves back in the green but the point that I'm making is if I didn't have spirit 
and enough trust in spirit to know that I'd be okay, I could have easily sold everything for cheap, jumped off, sure. come a therapist somewhere and been miserable knowing now that I was working on one person at a time instead of being a world worker. And so I really feel that we need all the experiences you were talking about because they put us in situations where we find out eventually we can't trust our own thoughts and we have to find something deeper in ourselves that's more reliable than the network of associations trapped between our ears. How do you teach people to tap into that? Because we were talking about it a little bit yesterday and you were explaining you know, the tension that you feel from trying to do, yes. know, do with the mind, mm -hmm. do show up and then get battered around by all the stress and all yeah. the emotions and all the doubts and you know, that's the very kind of young worldly approach to yeah. conquering and achieving yes. and, and, but it bears a toll, but yeah. then there's another way to kind of be guided by it. It's like yeah. sometimes writing is just, you're thinking about all the words and laboring and sometimes everything is just flowing through you and it's always better and faster and more efficient yes. when it's flowing through you. And there's a way to apply that to virtually everything, even a fighter, you know, the oh, fighters absolutely. who fight the best fights, yeah. they're like, I don't know, man, I was just flowing out there. Yeah, they just go into no mind. They go into no mind. And there's yeah. a way to accomplish all of that with mm -hmm. that faith. But then when, you know, things get tough and when, you know, the stress comes and fear comes, that'll drive you right back into your mind. Those that's, emotions will drive you into that. That's when you have to have what I call spiritual courage. And spiritual courage, you know, I am a fighter. I grew up fighting. And I can tell you it takes more courage to deal with a major financial crisis, a divorce, or a death in the family. My brother committed suicide when I was 34, and it leveled me. Um, my sister's son drowned when he was three. You know, without a long laundry list, I've had my share of beatings. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the question that I think you're really asking me is, is how do we get to that thing we call soul? So would you like me to share that yeah, with you? And I'd preface that by saying, if you go to uh, chekinstitute.com, www.chekinstitute.com, I have a program which is a recorded webinar series called Primal Pattern Eating, and I teach people how to access their soul to guide their meal choices, hydration choices, supplementation choices, doses, and I've helped thousands of people who have tried every diet in the world, learned to communicate with their soul to get their bodies healthy, which is the basis of perception, right? So if your body's not healthy, then you really have a hard time accessing your soul, but your soul can also guide you to bringing that into harmony. So the way that I teach, this is one of the methods that I teach, and it's really quite simple, and I invite all of you guys in the room, even the engineers, to do this. So what I'd like you to do is, first of all, just... Give yourself a second to relax your mind and empty your mind of any thoughts. And I'm going to give you a question to ask your inner self, but the key thing is that once you ask the question, you must stop your mind so that you know that the answer did not come from your ego. So when I show you the question, once you ask it, just let your mind lay down like a dog that's just finished a run and is ready to rest, or you've just finished a hard set and you're ready to just lay on the floor. And that way, if you get a response, you know it did not come from your ego because you have let it rest. Ask this question. Dear soul, if you are inside me and can hear me, 
please show me when it feel what it feels like when you are saying yes to me and then wait dear soul if you can hear me please say yes to me loudly three times in a row so i am sure you can hear me Dear soul, thank you. Please show me what it feels like when you say no to me. Thank you. Dear soul, please alternate your yes and your no loudly three times so I'm sure I can tell the difference. my soul or my higher self it's always it's always so much the best version of me you know it's like you you would imagine for people who haven't done this practice or maybe people are different but for me it always has the best sense of humor and like and it's always it's like playful but but sure the best creativity the best creativity you know it's like doing that you know because i i'm fortunate enough to have been on the path and been in communication with that force you know it's it's do, it's following along, but it's also fucking with me, and it's Yo. also like it's also laughing. Like, how many more times do you want me to do this? You want me to keep going? I'll yeah. keep going if you want. Like, yeah. yes, no, yes, no. Is that good? And like, it's just such a it's such a rich it's such a rich part of yourself that's just you know it's not it's not coming from this thing this slow clumsy cumbersome mind. Yeah, listen, people think they have a soul in their body, but that's actually wrong. Your body is in your soul. Your mind is in your soul. Your soul is a field of action. And to put it into perspective, God is the field of action. But think of God as an ocean. Now, if you dropped a pebble on the surface of a pond, for example, it would make a series of concentric rings, which would be like a field of action, wouldn't it? Now, if you drop another pebble next to it, those fields of action would overlap and they would become two, but also there would be a third created out of the marriage of the interaction of the waves, right? Well, here we all are. (laughs) God is the ocean, which is the soul, or all caps, capital S, capital O, capital U, capital L, or capital consciousness, within which God's dream is like a little kid throwing pebbles on the waves of the ocean, and each of them has a sense of self but can't exist in a meaningful way without the other ones, because without that, there would be no love. So when you're ready for my definitions of love, I'll give them to you. I think we better go there pretty soon. But isn't it, I mean, was that clear to you guys? You did not answer the question, did you? Right. Your soul did. And it clearly says, I am here. And when I say no, you feel like a no. Mm -hmm. You feel like, hmm. Don't do that. Not stable, not secure, not, do not move forward. So the secret to communicating with your soul is to learn to phrase questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. And to be still. And be still. And if you're not willing to listen to God, then I got news for you. Going to church doesn't do a damn bit of good. Reading spiritual books doesn't do a damn bit of good because god's already inside of you and you don't need the bookstore or the church all you need to do is go sit under a very tall tree and listen (laughs) and you're there so the 
Um, there was one thing I was going to share there, and I lost my train of thought. But, um, oh, yes, as you get calmer, each of us has natural voyances. So my natural voyance is clairvoyance, inner vision. I can see people's energy fields. I can look inside of stones or whatever. That's my natural voyance. But we all have a natural voyance. As you... Is that like a... Do you think that's just a universal law or is that... I think all of us are... You know, I think what we call extrasensory abilities are really just normal. Uh, We've just gotten so up into our heads that we've forgotten what our natural abilities are. I mean, if you study ancient cultures, aboriginal cultures... They could all see the energy of stones. If you look at Aboriginal hunting maps, they didn't draw trails on the dirt. They drew energy patterns, and they all knew what that meant because they were reading the colors and the energies of the environment, which were more directive than the trail through the woods was for them. You know, shaman have been talking to plants and learning to make medicines for thousands of years. Well, how do you talk to a plant? Well, you realize you and the plant are the same thing, just having a relationship. Um and that blows and that blows the westerners minds they'll they'll hear a song and be moved by the medicine of the song and they'll ask the shaman where'd you learn that song oh the plant taught me exactly and then their mind just goes <laughs> exactly so the point that i'm making is start off with training wheels and ask questions of your soul that are easily answered by a yes or a no but as you relax into it and your trust goes grows all of a sudden you begin to have voyance so your soul all of a sudden speaks in words inside your head and it's like you're hearing someone else talk but it's coming from within you so that's someone who's more clairaudient Mm. i get visions but i'm also clairaudient and clairsentient i have a number of these but i've been working on this my whole life my mother's a yogi i started with monks when i was a kid so i've had a lot of practice at this so i've i can share this with you because i've been through all these stages so now, if I'm stressed and I can't really relax and I just go to the simple yes and no, and I can always trust that, right. but typically you'll find as you practice talking to your soul more and more, the communication gets richer and richer. So for like when I'm working on a client like I was with you yesterday, if my soul wants to, I will say to my soul, what would you like me to do with this person? Sometimes I will see a whole video-like experience of what caused them the pain that they're having. And my soul might say, don't work on their body, talk to them about the real issue. <laughs> and then I, I see this video almost as though I'm part of their life. I'm, I'm in their office seeing the stress or I'm in the bedroom seeing the stress. And you, know, you have to have a fair bit of courage to see God because God you know, goes through a lot of pain and a lot of sadness uh, to uphold the beauty and the value of love and goodness. Those two have to go together. So it takes a lot of spiritual courage. A lot of people think God is only the good stuff, but... God is all. You know, Isaiah 45, 7 in the Bible says, I, the Lord, create the light and the dark. I create good and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Otherwise, there's no free will. Well, there's no free will. would collapse back. And there can't be any consciousness either. Um, Edward Edinger, a famous Jungian analyst and psychiatrist who I really love, says, consciousness is a psychic substance created not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. And that is damn true. As a therapist of 32 years experience, I can say that if you are not paying attention with a living awareness to the opposites, you will never become conscious. So my, my point that I wanted to iterate there was just simply 
that as we grow in our relationship with soul, the language gets richer and richer and richer. And as we develop more spiritual courage and more spiritual integrity to be able to handle what God really is, then, for example, me as a therapist, God shows me more and more of what's really going on inside of somebody. And it can be some heavy stuff. I mean, I've worked with people that have murdered people. I've worked with people that have done, you know, unbelievably wild sexual practices like sex with animals and all sorts of stuff they probably wouldn't tell anybody, but they're carrying tremendous amounts of guilt, pain, and shame inside of themselves and think they're going to burn in hell. Do you keep a poker face when you get a sex with animals client? Well, you you know, I, I, I always keep, I always, for me, like, I have a deep enough relationship with God to know that God can't know God until God tries everything. Or God doesn't know God, and that's what we're doing. We are Godding. I mean, we are here. God is experiencing God, but people forget God has to know. God's as interested in the dark of itself as it is in the light of itself, and we keep worshiping the light. And I'm not trying to promote evil or bad stuff, but I'm saying we have to realize it's part of the fabric of the world. It's part of the fabric of creation. And as part of the fabric of the world, it's part of the fabric of us. That was one of the deepest, most challenging uh, medicine journeys that I had is yes. when I asked, I asked as an intention for consciousness yes. at large to be present inside myself. And when it came, it was all the dark and all the light. Yeah, And that wasn't even the thing that was the most shaking. The, the thing that shook me the most was that both were equally beautiful. They are. All the yeah. decay and death and destruction yeah. and all of the pain and everything was just a different side reflected of the coin of all of the love. It is. Yeah. And it was simply a choice, which side do i want to engage in well the love side and the light side yeah. felt a lot better to me you know? yes so that ultimately i was able to choose that side but i could recognize and it was i didn't want i didn't want to recognize that i didn't i wanted to think of it as bad and i yeah. wanted to think of it as like i don't have any of that in me yes it's all bad it's mm-hmm. totally separate it's something yeah. else other humans created it yeah you know but then you look at it and it says oh that's beautiful just as beautiful yeah and now here's the choice the path of power the path of darkness the path of destruction or the path of love what do i want and was able fortunately to choose the path of love i guess fortunately is just my own preference but that seemed to be the one that filled me with the most light and love and happiness yeah and the feelings that i like yeah well you know we also forget that what we often call evil or bad is usually a word that describes a transformative process, and the ego has a really hard time with change. So if if soul's trying to move you forward in your life and you're not listening and you get fired from your job, then you can think the world's beating you up. But if you're listening and, and you say, okay, well, soul's moving me on, I need to go follow my dream and I should be doing this now, then you take goodbye and you go look for a job and soul leads you that way but if you keep staying in a holding pattern when spirit wants to move you forward for consciousness uh, for consciousness to grow and relationships to grow and the connections you need to fulfill your life path and your soul contract with other souls then sometimes what happens looks bad to us but a good example of that is you know having been through a divorce and coached many people through them and even business collapses, I say to someone who maybe is now on their third wife, are you happy? Oh man, I'm so fucking happy. It's unbelievable. I said, now, could you be here if you had not have divorced your first wife? No. Could you be here if you had not divorced your second wife or husband, whatever way you want to go? No. Good. 
But there was a lot of resent, a lot of pain, and a lot of anger in each of those situations. And had you have known that spirit was guiding you to this life partner, your soulmate, you wouldn't have put up such a fight and worried so much about who gets the couch and who gets the TV and who gets the car and who gets the condo. You would have just said, it's time to move on. We've had a great time together. Let's love and celebrate. And you would have moved on with spiritual courage instead of trying to control everything and feed yourself with material safety and security. I need this much money. I need this house. But when you really realize that spirit's moving us along, then my point is that you see what we often referred to as evil or bad is actually the force of transformation or transition. And one analogy I give to people who think evil's so bad, I say, look, look at the moon tonight. You look at the face of the moon and there's something you'll notice about it. It's had the hell beat out of it. The moon has had the shit beat out of it. And it's only because that moon's been struck by countless asteroids that it's now pulverized enough to be smooth enough to reflect the light of the sun back to us and give us moonlight <laughs> and without the evil that took it that it took to smooth the face of the moon off our lives would never be the same and there you see what looks scary and ugly actually has a divine purpose and spiritual courage is learning to embrace these things but always keep your eye out for the beauty that's hiding inside what looks scary or ugly. It's the necessary balance. Right? It is, I mean, it's, yeah. the, it's the Tao of the universe, yeah. that, the classic yin-yang. I know that's a symbol that's something that you... It's deep, yeah. It, it's deep, you yeah. know, and it, it, that, that has to hold. The balance has to hold. Yes. If for all of us to be here, we have to walk on the ground bones of good and bad people, you know, who have passed through this life and know? it's all relative right yeah. if you think what is a good sexual practice and you're a christian well what you think is a bad sexual practice can be completely normal for a muslim or an african in a tribe so really who decides what good is or good isn't i i personally think if whatever you're doing brings you to a place where you can be more present with yourself and have more to share with the world to support the world it's good whether someone else agrees with it or not a lot of people may not agree with you smoking pot or doing shamanic journeys or whatever, but they often do agree with alcohol, cigarettes, and processed sugar, and going to war. Yeah, lots, in, lots of arbitrary little lines yeah, that made. It's really simple. Does it increase love or does it, does it, does it decrease love? Yes, or does it put you in, into a state of stagnant non-participation or apathy, which is the opposite of love, really. Mm -hmm. so, so let's define love. Well, I have meditated on this quite extensively, and it's really at the very, very basis of my educational system. So, first of all, I wrote a book called Cracking the Love Code, which I haven't brought out in print yet, but I will give you three ways of looking at love that was given to me through my meditations and asking my soul these questions. Love is a code. L stands for life, and you must have the desire to live. Anyone can commit suicide, which means they can override the desire to live, which is a demonstration of free will. So life is based on desire. Everything has the desire to breathe, the desire to eat, the desire to drink, the desire to relate, etc., to do what it's here to do. Earthworms want to eat the earth, birds want to fly and do bird things. So L stands for desire. Desire is the force that relates to yin or the emptiness. When a woman's uterus is empty, she has the desire to fill it with life and become pregnant. When our stomachs are empty, we desire to have food in them. So 
life is the force that is the experience that requires desire to fulfill itself. O is zero. O stands for zero or unconditional love, pure potential. So it's what we draw from. Unconditional love is the source of all things created. In quantum physics, it would be the vacuum that's full of virtual particles that actually end up creating quantum particles, which create atoms, which create molecules, dot, dot, dot. That's the great chain of being. VE, interestingly, is the scientific notation for volt electron, which stands for the electromotive force, and everything in our world is made of light, and light is an electromagnetic reality. So love in my system is a code which turns out to mean exactly what the Tai Chi symbol does, yin, empty, O, zero, the line between yin and yang, which is spirit, which means that which becomes this and this which becomes that, VE, volt electron, the electromotive force, which is will, and loves like a jet engine. The harder it sucks or desires, the harder it blows. The more you desire to accomplish your dream, the more likely you are to fulfill it efficiently. If, if you desire to spend money you can't afford on a car to look cool, you'll put yourself in terrible debt on a credit card or some big loan because your desire is oftentimes more powerful than your common sense or, or, or sense of rationality or values or your level of maturity. So you can see that love really is that which desires to interact with itself and everything around it and to the degree that it desires it wills so desire and will feed each other to create movement and movement is what creates time consciousness and perceptual awareness so in my model love is really the code of how the how the universe or god experiences itself in relationship as relationship without which love can't exist love is relationship my, so, so love is kind of to summarize that love is in some ways god in motion god love is god experiencing god yeah which requires motion which requires space which requires time so time space and space and motion create a holy trinity without which you cannot be conscious yeah you have to have time you have to have space and you have to have motion or you can't be conscious because thoughts move and thoughts are their uh, mode of perception that we use um, in order to classify what we're experiencing now, you can have feelings without thoughts, but you can't really uh, teach others how to do that without thoughts. To communicate at the level that humans communicate at with the complexity that we have requires thought. So my other definition of love is... is and that would be capital L love, that first Yes, love capital L, capital O, with yeah. a line through it, which means potential in electrical circuitry, and V-E, capital mm -hmm. V, little e, volt, electron... Now, word definitions, I define love, and I'll say it slowly because it's pretty deep, love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self or others. Love is the flow of energy and information through empathic, I feel, or compassionate, I understand, connection to self, I love myself, or others, I love you, or it. I, we, all, persons, places, things. We can love persons, we can love places, and we can love things. And when we do, we are empathizing with them. We are em resonating with them empathically, empathically, or we are energizing or resonating with them compassionately to understand or to feel.
So having meditated on it quite a lot, that was what my soul led me to as a definition of love. And the simpler definition my soul gave me, which I think you probably will enjoy, love is consciousness becoming aware of itself. And I think that's just as deep a truth and much simpler. Yeah. It's a word that we so often get wrong with all of these words. And I've often said that if someone grows up and they take these two things, these two very simple concepts as truths, their whole operating system is going to be backwards. And that's love hurts and fear God. Yes, fear think, God, yes. Yeah, if you think those if you think those things are true, you know, then you've got the whole definitions backward because implied in those terms is a radical misunderstanding yes. of both God and love. You know, there's nothing about love, love that hurts. There's yeah. nothing about God that should cause you to fear, <laughs> you know. So, yes. so in that definition, if you believe either one of those things, your operating system and your whole lexicon is upside down. You start over. It, it, in general, I agree, but I, I would like to propose a slight twist if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're open to it. Sure. One, I'll, I'll share something with you. Zig Ziglar, who I studied his work, you know, the famous business educator and really cool guy, expert in goal-setting business management. He says, fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. And most of the things we're afraid of turn out not to really be worth being afraid of. So fear, if we look at fear as false evidence appearing real, then um, we can usually put things into perspective. But as you know, um, Aubrey, it takes a fair bit of life experience to really be be able to recognize what is it worth being afraid of and what isn't. You know, if you're walking out in the jungle... Being afraid of a poisonous snake is probably a good idea. It's, it's rel- the fear is relative to danger. Yeah, you know, doesn't exceed it, doesn't underseed it. You know? Reality is what's happening. Yeah. You know, so we we there's fearing God. This is a deeper concept. I I agree with what you said, but I want to take a deeper look at it. Um. Carl Jung says all religious systems are designed to protect you from the direct experience of God. Because most people's idea of God is what we just talked about, only the good, what Jung is saying, and what I can tell you from firsthand personal experience on many very, very deep experiences where you get close enough to God, the closer you get to God, the more your ego gets annihilated. To become one with God, you have to completely and utterly die to whatever you think you are. And I have been so deep into God that I literally was saying, God, how can I experience letting go to you yet having the confidence that I won't leave my family or leave the mission, vision, and values that I came to earth to finish? I don't want to leave that incomplete. I don't want to leave Penny and Angie with all this work on their hands. I don't want to leave in a way that others see disrespectful and diminish everything I've worked for. And God says, if you love me, then let go and trust me. But if you're afraid and your family is more important to you than letting go to me, as long as you're in charge, I am completely in service to you. The choice is yours. Having been so deep 
to where I am ready to completely be gone. And you realize if you completely let go of what we call our sense of self or ego, there is not even a memory of your family. There's no memory of anything you've ever done or anything you've ever been or anything you ever will be. And the problem, as Joseph Campbell points out, is once you go into nirvana, which means to blow out or to extinguish, most people think nirvana means an eternal state of bliss. But the real meaning is, meaning is to extinguish or to blow out, and that is the ego that gets blown out. The drop returns to the ocean, and once a drop goes back into the ocean, you can never identify it again. Sure. So the fear God, as Jung says, in its actual meaning is not be afraid of God like fear, love. It means know that to become one with God, you must let go of everything that you think you are to find out what you really are, and the risk is you will never come back. And once you do let go, you may come back as an ant, a cockroach, or a pebble because you've completely given up any sense of control of your own direction. Well, that wouldn't really be you anyways. That would just well, be another... It would be you. Iteration. It would be you as <laughs> it, it would be another iteration. But the thing is, is that when you're sitting here thinking, okay, if I go to God and I my dream is to come back and lead on it to a higher level of service to Sorry. humanity. Sorry about it. That's done. I had that. I had that experience where I traveled to what felt like the intermediary dimension, where I still had my soul identification. Yes, like my soul was still carved out in the yeah. niche. And I could feel the call. And that was like one death. It was yeah. it was looking at it like, oh, I've lost my physical body. The death of the physical body has, yes. has occurred. But then my soul was yep. still there and still conscious yes. of this former life, still yep. conscious, mm -hmm. able to look back upon this mm -hmm. life. But I could feel the call, and it was very peaceful, but I could mm -hmm. feel the call of God, and it was exactly that. It yeah. was if I surrendered to that other calling back to the oneness, back to the unicity. Yeah. I would have literally no memory of Aubrey. No, no, nothing, nothing of Aubrey would exist. And that was actually, in in a way, very scary. Yeah, and, that's the fear I'm talking yeah, about. And that's so. I guess on the very deepest level, there is there is something that you can that is scary. Yeah. But nonetheless, you shouldn't fear it because it would be the acceptance of who you truly are, the God inside yourself, yeah. now recognizing itself at large. Nothing actually really to fear, but it is scary as shit. So there again, well, there again is the paradox. Uh, having, I agree with you, but I, I am a medicine man spirit guide who has a federal license and has taken countless people as part of their healing on deep shamanic journeys. And I know you know exactly this path, but I will tell you that I've had three people die in journeys and I had to go get their soul bring them back into their body and do CPR on them to get them to come back. And so there is this issue, for example, of responsibility in relationship. And both of those realities are just as real because though we think this is the illusion or Maya, if you want to use a Hindu concept, it is the illusion without which God cannot experience what God is in which love exists through relationship. And so if we just go with the concept, okay, let's just all go dive back into God, well, not all of us are ready for that. So the question is, now we get into a juggling act with love. I'm certainly not ready for it. I got shit to do. Yeah, me too, and that's why I'm still here, right? That's why I'm here. And, and, and some of the people that I took into these experiences, they because ready. they were ready, but the issue is, is that they have 
a commitment to me too and dying on a journey and turning the Czech Institute into headline news and ruining everything I work for isn't really a great way yeah, to that's... support humanity, love, <laughs> or the medicines. And therefore, we it forces us back into checkmate when we realize that the highest form of love is relationship. Do you use that word as part of your thing? <laughs> no, no, it's just a reality, right? <laughs> but you see, that's the paradox of God. And that's why Isaiah 45, 7 is so beautiful. I form the light and the dark. I create good and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So, you know, we can choose to love God as God, but then we become fairly invisible to the people that need God the most. But yeah. people like you and I and others and the Thich Nhat Hans and the Deepak Chopras and the Eckhart Tolls and all the beautiful souls of the world for which there are many that get far too little press, the world needs us to be here. That's the principle of bodhisattva, right? The yes. one who could find nirvana, find Yeah, and just leave it all behind yeah, because it's an illusion. To God. Or they, out of compassion for the yes. souls that haven't found God, that yeah. are suffering, stay here and do the work. Yes. And that is and, a fundamental choice. And so that's why we're here. You know, we're, we're tending to the garden because we have more gardening skill and we see the beauty of the garden. And that's what the, the garden is The fucking garden is so beautiful, Paul. It is. And, it is beautiful. And, and it, all the people in it, whether they're confused, whether they're in pain, wherever they're wandering, yeah. whatever they're going through, yeah. they're fucking beautiful too. It is. And, and it all, everything makes everything go, just like the day needs the night and the night needs the day. You, you can't say, geez, I wish there was no night because the whole earth would catch on fire in no time. <laughs> And if there was only night and no day, then things would just be too terribly flat and we wouldn't be able to see each other dance so well. Yeah. And uh, we'd have to start lighting fires and wide light a fire to see when you've got the sun, which is a massive fire that does a better job than anything we can light up without destroying the planet anyhow. So it is beautiful. And that's, you know, that's a real sign of spiritual growth and development when you can find yourself having a shitty day or something happening that you wished would have never happen, like a divorce or a bankruptcy, but still walk out the door and go, God's got a great sense of humor, and to the degree this hurts and is scary, I know that what goes down has to come up, so let's ride this sucker and go for it, you know? And, and I think that's the difference between kind of corporate religion doesn't teach you that. Yeah. But spirituality gives you the toolbox to really experiential spirituality yeah real spirituality is a show not tell game anyways it is you and, and you gotta and, feel it yeah and you know like you and i were talking about i think at one point god is a verb not a noun people talk about what god wants and what god needs all the time like like you know you need to do this or god's going to burn you in hell and i say look if you understand what the word god means god has everything god has you god has the universe god doesn't need a damn thing <laughs> God is everything. <laughs> God is you, and God is the up, the down, the left, the right, the high, the low, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad. God just loves it all. And so don't worry about what God needs, because God is God, because God needs nothing. This is art for God. This is not some kind of school test that you got to pass. This, you know, there's only one of us, meaning there'll never be another Aubrey, there'll be a, never be another Paul Check, and the only one that judges Aubrey at the end of Aubrey's life is Aubrey because Aubrey is the only one that can judge Audrey, Aubrey because if God is God, God's unconditional love. So God's already said, perfect. Whatever you did, I love it. You want to be fat and slothy or you want to be Adolf Hitler, then let's do a damn good job of it. And we all love a good movie and we'd love it when 
someone like I think it's Heath Ledger, the guy that played the the Batman. Joker and Batman. We love a good bad guy just as much as we love a good guy, a good good guy. Because without the polarities, then the movie's boring. We love the villains. We love the you know the the sick people, and we're all in the divine play or the divine comedy. And I think if people realize that God's doing this because God loves the play, this is actually God having fun and God acting and and God arting, but God does it 100% so thoroughly that whatever you do is already perfect. If you want to be a cop out or a lazy this or a lazy that, then that's your role. Do it well. And if you know that, then just stop complaining, right? It's one thing to be lazy or disappointed all the time or depressed it's another thing to know that's your role and say i'm being depressed today because i'm good at it and that's what i'm here to do you're just god godding you're godding god, so godding away just don't beat yourself up over it because <laughs> we i can get along with your depression it's when you don't like it that it gets to be a problem right right checkmate hey baby that was it beautiful i'm gonna officially call this part one because okay. we got to do this again i'm ready for you <laughs> and i really appreciate because you know, I do so many podcasts where people think, ask me like, well, how do you structure an exercise program or what's the best exercise to get rid of fat? And I always say, would you please ask me something meaningful? <laughs> and Aubrey, you're the king, baby. You, you, today, <laughs> you, you, today you rung the bell. You climbed the <laughs> highest up the tree and you rang the bell to ask me the most meaningful questions and put my life into a sense of purpose because I had to work my ass off and grow myself spiritually just so I can give you an answer that wasn't cheesy. At least I hope you agree it wasn't cheesy. Oh, yeah. That was beautiful, brother. That Thank was beautiful. you. Happy so, to play my part and be a part of this dance, man. It's yeah. It's been, been great to get to know you. Thank you. You too. And it was great to spend time here and see the beautiful environment you've created and the team you have and and to feel the spirit running through here, you know, on its breathing, man, it's yeah. it's alive, baby. Yeah, it it's, is. It's alive, and it's, yeah, it it's how I feel about my institute. You know, I got beautiful instructors who are deeply committed to their spiritual growth, and to the students, and and I have a great staff, and we've worked through a lot of challenges together, and um, there's life in that, and and that's, you know, that's when things are worth living for mm-hmm. when you breathe with each other mm-hmm. instead of just existing the don howard said the warrior's heart beats is one heart yeah you know, and when you can feel that in an organism when all the heartbeats are synced and we're all pushing yeah. towards the same mission yeah there's very few things as beautiful as that so yeah well checkinstitute.com yeah that's where people can find you yep c-h-e-k institute <laughs> if they want to see my blog they can go to Paul C H E K S B L O G dot com. And I've got over 500 videos on YouTube if people want to get a sample of what I give away. That's my public service donation. Each week I do a video. Some of them range up to over an hour, some of them are short. Uh, short is not my specialty. <laughs> um, and that is youtube.com forward slash Paul C H E K live all stuck together. And that'll give you a lot but there's a lot of great stuff at the uh institute and i think penny's given some specials for your uh listeners that oh yeah that uh kyle has ready to share with you so you can uh, share Beautiful. yeah we'll some add neat that to stuff the, uh, add that to the intro and the commercial too thanks for all your love and thank you to all your crew helping us yeah, here absolutely brother and thank uh, you, to you thank you for uh i gotta thank you for something else <laughs> 
you know, I've never really enjoyed the Texas experience. <laughs> and I've been to Houston and thought, who in the hell could live here? And I've been to Dallas and said, oh my God, there's a place as bad as Hollywood for smoke and mirrors and plastic. But you gave me a reason to come here to Austin, and I found what feels like San Diego and San Francisco tucked into a little place in the middle of all the redneck <laughs> yeah. hideouts. And I'm at your place last night going, my God, I feel like I'm having a Hollywood, Beverly Hills, San Francisco, San Diego, all wrapped up party in Texas. <laughs> so you gave me faith in Texas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right, brother. If you enjoyed this podcast, I highly recommend downloading and listening to the On It podcast with Paul Check as well. They cover a completely different set of topics, some of the more basic fundamental issues having to do with the body, nutrition, kinesiology, and happiness. And as an offer to the listeners of both this podcast and the On It podcast, Paul has offered a free download of his core cycle checklist. The core is the key component to all movement patterns, and Paul is a master at understanding those patterns, and he's offering a free download for anybody who goes to check out the page. It's checkinstitute.com, C-H-E-K institute.com, slash on it, O-N-N-I-T. Check it out. I know you'll dig his work. He's got a bunch of stuff on YouTube as well, but for sure, listen to that podcast with Kyle Kingsbury on the On It podcast. Thanks, everybody. I want to talk to you guys about Power Food Active. We've got a brand new product out that's got hemp, cacao, and maca all rolled into one with debittered stevia and low-hand fruit extract. It's a phenomenal product that gives you a ton of superfoods that may not necessarily taste very good by themselves, but in this wonderful mix that we've made, it's quality in a shaker with water, and it's even better when you mix it with coffee or make it into one of our superfood smoothies. You can check the label for a number of different ways to supercharge your coffee or to make awesome smoothies Utilizing one of our favorites here, Live and Let Dine, Liv Langdon, who's been a part of the Onnit family for some time. And we've got a whole host of awesome recipes, the way that you can really dive into this power food active and make it beneficial in your life.